the reason you're at church this morning is because you want to follow him. Okay? And it's like you could be doing lots of things with your time this morning, but you choose to come to church because there's something deep down within you that says, I don't just want to believe in him, I want to follow him. So I'm going to gather and I'm going to worship and you're going to be in his presence and he's going to hopefully just already been speaking to you, encouraging you, ministering to you. But you're here because you want to follow him. And if you're serious about following him, your pace of life needs to ideally increasingly match his pace of life. Right? Because we're trying to follow Jesus here. We're trying to match his rhythms to our rhythms. We're trying to learn from him. To be a disciple, the best word to describe being a disciple is to be an apprentice. We want to learn the way of Jesus. And so we're trying to slow down so that we can be with them. But we're trying to slow down so that we can reflect. And secondly, uh, we are choosing to uh, reflect. Uh, what have I... Right, here we go. The second danger is that we choose not to face stuff from our history. So the first danger is so busy we never we just don't have time. The second danger is maybe we've got a bit of margin. It's like we just don't want to go there. Too painful, too hard basket. It's in the past. Let's forget about it. But, you know, it's interesting, as you see on the slide here, there's this uh, great study done by some sociologists who, uh, where they interviewed a bunch of people who are over 95. I've mentioned this before, but it's very interesting what they said. They were asked this one question. If you, would, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? And so all sorts of answers came through, but three answers came through consistently from these groups of over 95-year-olds. Uh, and it was this, that if I had to, to do life over again, I would risk more, uh, in my life. Secondly, if I had to do it over again, I would do more things that would live on after I die. And the third thing they said is if I had to do things over again, life over again, I would reflect more. Now, if you can't learn from a bunch of 95-year-olds, you can't learn from anyone because these, this is profound wisdom about how to live. Like, you know, there's that, oh, you know, I don't have any regrets. That's such a silly Western thing that people say. That's a real, that's a sign of lack of reflection. You know, I've got regrets around decisions I've made and all the rest of it, but I want to get increasingly wise so that I can live my best life for Jesus. And so uh, I want to risk more. I want to I want to invest into things that are bigger than just me that live on even when I die. And the church is a great place to invest time and energy into for that very reason. And but thirdly, uh, if they were to live again, they would take more time to reflect, to hit the pause button, and to just reflect on where they're at, where they've come from, and where they're going. And so that's what we want to look at today is we want to look at, uh, we want to spend some time reflecting on how our past has shaped and impacted our present so that we're really aware of who we are and so that we can invite Jesus into those places. Uh, that's not easy sometimes. Uh, sometimes it feels like you're hugging the cactus. Let me play a little video that demonstrates uh, what I mean by Actually, I asked Mel to present uh, this award to me for a reason, because when I couldn't get sober, he told me not to give up hope, and he urged me to find my faith. Didn't have to be his or anyone else's as long as it was rooted in forgiveness. And I couldn't get hired, so he cast me in the lead of a movie that was actually developed for him, and he kept a roof over my head, and he kept food on the table. And most importantly, he said that if I accepted responsibility for my wrongdoings, and if I embraced that part of my soul that was ugly, uh, hugging the cactus, he calls it, 
He said that if I hugged the cactus long enough, I'd become a man of some humility and that my life would take on a new meaning. And I did, and it worked. Um, all he asked in return was that uh, someday I help the next guy in some small way. Uh, it's reasonable to assume that at the time he didn't imagine the next guy would be him. <laughs> or that someday was tonight. <laughs> so anyway, on this special occasion, and in light of the recent holidays, including Columbus Day, I humbly ask that you join me, unless you are completely without sin, in which case you picked the wrong industry, <laughs> in forgiving my friend his trespasses, offering him the same clean slate you have me, and allowing him to continue his great and ongoing contribution to our collective art without shame. He's hugged the cactus long enough. So it's this, uh, what on earth, how on earth does that relate to what we're saying? <laughs> But is it Robert Downey Jr. there who's asked Mel Gibson to give him this kind of Lifetime Achievement Award, so he's introducing the guy that's going to introduce him. Um, see, I think says something very profound in there. Sorry about the expletive that was bleeped out, thankfully, but hopefully the Seventh-day Adventist guys word has never been hinted at in this place, I believe, but anyway. Um, but there is this thing of, of uh, it's so important that we reflect and we uh, engage with our histories especially the bits in our histories that have been painful, where we hug the cactus. And hugging the cactus isn't fun. I've hugged, hugged quite a few cactuses in my own soul over the years. Uh, just about every single year, uh, I think without fail in the last 16 years of full-time ministry, I've been in counselling at least at some point in the year, hugging a cactus. And, uh, and I don't hug the cactus because uh, I'm some sort of sicko that loves <laughs> tormenting myself. I hug the cactus because I want Jesus to come into that place. Because I want Jesus to, to come into that place. To do what Jesus always does when he arrives in any place. Bring healing, bring peace, bring comfort, to bring restoration, to bring renewal, and to bring hope. That's why I hug the cactus. That's why I look at those places. And so we have the choice to either look at our histories and especially those difficult and painful moments in our histories and we have the choice to look at our family of origin and how that has shaped us or we can choose to ignore it. But living in denial is a, is a scary choice. It's a choice that we can make, but it is a big choice. Uh, in the book uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that we'll be quoting from a lot, obviously. Emotionally healthy spirituality, next slide if you don't mind, Shane, is about reality, not denial or illusion. It is about embracing God's choice to birth us into a particular family in a particular place at a particular moment in history. That choice granted us certain opportunities and gifts. It also handed to us a certain amount of what I will call emotional baggage in our journey through life. For some of us, this load was minimal. For others, it turned out to be a heavy one to carry. In fact, some of us get so accustomed to walking with such excess weight, we can't imagine living another way. And so the, the dream is that we would, this morning and this week as we engage with this content, reflect on where we have come from rather than blindly repeating habits and behaviors that impact others. And so uh, 
Some of you guys will know some of your family history, and some of you guys, it's like you may not know anything in terms of your family history. Maybe you've been adopted, or maybe you've uh, been, had broken relationships historically. But regardless of what the case is for you right now, this, the reality is that your family history impacts who you are today. It impacts who you are and how you see the world. And it's interesting that in um, the Bible, when the Bible uses the word family, it refers to the extended family normally at least to three or four generations, which is a very Maori worldview, which I think is beautiful as we as a church engage uh, with learning again to be a bicultural community. Uh, it's just beautiful that we've had to learn something of our own whakapapa, our own history. And, uh, and that was, um, you know, when I had to give my um, pepiha for the first time, it was like, oh, I've got to work out where I came from, and I've got to work out where my ancestors were from and all that. And to my shame, I hadn't really looked at that stuff too much, but thankfully, great Auntie Margaret had done all the work for me. And so this little book that's been sitting on my bookshelf for a long time that I hadn't engaged and I finally looked at, and I could engage with my family history because she'd done a lot of the work to enable me to, uh, to, to benefit from knowing that history. And so uh, it, was a, it was actually a beautiful thing. But the reality is that, uh, that my ancestors made choices, both good and bad, that impact me today. And, uh, and it's interesting in the Bible, and you'll notice this in the book if, if you're reading it this week, um, there's a number of times that the Bible talks about the consequences of actions that can affect three to four generations in Exodus 20 verse 5, Exodus 34 7, Numbers 14 18, Deuteronomy 5 verse 9. And it can be pretty heavy as well because it can say, it says in uh, the text that God punishes the sins uh, to three to four generations for those that have been really naughty. And now I want us as a church to be reading scripture and reading stuff like that. And then if you feel like, whoa, how does that line up with Jesus? Right? I want us to be sitting with those questions because uh, it's like, that's heavy. God punished you. Like, if I do something naughty, my children and my children's children and their children, if we're going the fourth generation, are going to be negatively impacted by the decisions I make, right? Anyone else like, sheesh, that sounds pretty harsh, God. Um, and so here's a couple of things I want to say just quickly around how how we navigate particular passages like this in the Old Testament, because there are biblical principles that are very true there, but we have to be very careful how we engage with the Old Testament. Uh, the, Old, the Old Testament, listen to this very clearly, the Old Testament is not the perfect revelation of who God is. Jesus is the perfect revelation of who God is. Amen? That is, that is absolute 101 theology, but we sometimes can lose sight of that. So for when I go for a wander around the Old Testament, Jesus is my guide. And Jesus is my filter. And Jesus is the one that helps me navigate these sort of things. And here's the thing. Sometimes there'll be moments when God is attributed with actions that seem to contradict what Jesus would do. So who trumps who? Jesus trumps. Jesus is the full. When Jesus was on the Mount of um, uh, uh, the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah stand on that mountain, representing the law and the prophets. And when Peter sees it, he's like, "Ooh, let's build three dwellings for these three guys," because Peter's like, "They've all got equal weight as far as I'm concerned. The, the law, the prophets, and what Jesus has said—three equal things." And then a voice from heaven, God says, listen, this is my son, listen to him. 
Interesting, eh? So the law and the prophets are represented there, and God audibly says, so the disciples can hear, this is my son, listen to him. Okay, so as we navigate, now this is a whole sermon in itself in terms of how do we, uh, the hermeneutics of our Old Testament reading, like how do we engage with the Old Testament? Because there's so, I believe it's the word of God, but I have a higher Christology than I'd have a higher bibliography, if that makes sense. I love the Bible. I read it every day, Old Testament, prophets, New Testament, every single day. But Jesus is who we're after. Jesus is the living presence that we sit with in this place. And the Bible helps us understand who God is, but the fullness of that revelation is Jesus, okay? Little tangent side note here. But the principle is very true when it comes to the impact generationally. And so here's here's how it works. For example, if back in the day, uh, one of my my ancestors was super greedy, just like full greed machine. And he just uses the workers in his factories like batteries to get profit for him, pays the minimum wage, treats them like rubbish so that we get stinking rich. Then the child that grows up in that environment will have a normal worldview around how we treat other people and the centrality of the pursuit of money. And then that, that person grows up. Now, Jesus may step into the story, which is what we're going to talk about today, because he'll break these cycles. But say that Jesus doesn't step in that story and that person continues to choose a life of greed. Well, that's another generation that's got a, a worldview that, that says this is normal. This is how you treat people. Now, this is the scary thing about worldviews and about self-awareness is that you can't see when it's broken, this is why this course is important. You don't know how broken you are. You know, the whole, like last week when Charlotte was talking about, you've got to know yourself that you may know God. All of us are like, I know myself pretty well. No, you don't. You don't know yourself that well. You think you do. This is the tragedy of it, is that we think we do. And yet as we journey through life, when we hang out with Jesus, and if we allow him to speak to us, he'll gently, because he's always gentle, he will gently be like, mate, what about that? You know, he's been doing that, again, it's never perfect timing, but I was sitting down with my therapist slash supervisor slash counsellor a couple of months ago, and, um, and he was like, mate, you know, as I look at your story, there's this real need for affirmation by people that mean a lot to you, like, like superior spiritual giants in your life. You just, you're desperate for their affirmation. And it was like, he didn't say it like that. Like, he's way kinder than that. But he kind of, like, as good counselors do, led me to that. Like, I was like, and I'm just like, so I'm sitting, I'm still like a couple months later, I'm like, whoa, that's so true. When I look at my history, like, the stuff I did, I thought was normal. It's, that's not normal, reacting like that to when the speaker doesn't say hello to me or, you know, whatever it may be. Like, there's this, it's a, Lord, can you heal me of that? Because I want to find my affirmation in you. Now, if he didn't bring that, that now I had, I'm 30, I just turned 38, you know, which I actually love. You know, I'm, I'm actually I'm a fan of getting older. I'm like, ooh, I'm getting older. You know, but I'm on 38, and I'm like, I, I found that when I was 37, this little insight about how I'm wired that I hadn't seen for 37 years. And it's the same with our family history. There are certain things that are normal for you that actually aren't normal, that actually Jesus wants to bring revelation to and heal. The freaky thing is we can't see it right now. And that's what, now I'm overstating it because I'm a preacher, right? So of course there's stuff you're aware of. And, uh, and this isn't fatal stuff, but it's like God continually wants to bring healing, continually wants to lead us into places of life, continually wants to break generational patterns so that we can walk into the promised land of his goodness and so that we can be givers of life and hope. 
And so uh, here we go. Let's again go to Peter Scazzaro. There's often, I'm ch- basically we're reading the book for you. This is how much I don't trust that you're reading the book. Some of you I know. <laughs> we often underestimate the deep unconscious imprint our families of origin leave on us. In fact, my observation is that it is only as we grow older that we realize the depth of their influence. Each of us has our family, of our, each of our family members or those that raised us through childhood has imprinted certain ways of behaving and thinking into us. Likewise, our culture, the media, our interpretation of events that happen to us also imprint us. These behavioral patterns operate under a set of commandments. Some of them are spoken and explicit. Most are unspoken. They are hardwired into our brains and DNA, so much so that apart from the intervention of God himself and biblical discipleship, we simply bring these expectations into our closest relationships as adults, right? So, so uh, the, you know, the list of different things like, like money. How does your family deal with money? What's the place of money within your family? Um, conflict. How has your family done conflict? Has it been, you know, like um, Greek style? <laughs> I reckon there's a lot of Italian in our family anyway. So, uh, uh, or is it like, the, you know, the Scottish? I've got a lot of Scottish blood in me, it turns out. And so that's all like just sweep it under the carpet and act all, you know, a bit cold for a while or whatever. And it's all kind of passive aggressive. How do your family do conflict? Do your, does your family talk about sex? Like how is that, what sort of conversation, has that been normal? Has it been something that's been like a shameful thing to talk about? Is it awkward me even saying it right now, which would suggest that there are some issues in the room? Um, grief and loss. How do we cope when, when grief, which inevitably is going to hit us, but sometimes blindsides us because it's unexpected? grief? How do we process that as a family? What's normal for us as we deal with grief and loss? Expressing anger, family relationships. What are our attitudes towards different cultures? Something in New Zealand that we're asking the Lord to heal. And it's racism is not something, which is a very nice way of saying racism, uh, is not something that you see until you sometimes hang out with other cultures and you realize, whoa, I, I man, there's some stuff that was said in our, around our family dinner table or attitudes that had that are not right, and God wants to bring healing to that. Success, feelings and emotions, all of these things shape uh, who we are. And uh, so, as we look at our history, as we look at the impact of uh, of our parents and our grandparents and beyond. It's interesting to note that the Bible has two invitations, two commands that we need to hold in tension together. The first is to honour our parents, to honour our ancestors, to honour those that have gone before us. And, uh, and so even as we engage on a reflection about how that has impacted us, we do that with honour in our hearts. You know, uh, it's very easy, particularly now especially I'm a father, oh man, I'm like, I really hope my kids are gentle on me when they come to you know, work through all of this stuff themselves, which they're inevitably going to do. Treat others the way you'd want to be treated, right? So we don't go in swinging. We're not like trying to be disrespectful. But, but we, it's important that we do reflect on where we have come from and how that has shaped us. Uh, and also, even in the present, what does it look like for us to honour our parents to love them, to care for them, to stay in contact, to make an effort, to communicate, to go and visit. 
And you know, at best with our parents, particularly as we, we move beyond the teenage years into adulthood, at best our parents will, the role, the relationship with our parents, this is the ideal, the relationship with our parents will change where we can become friends rather than just mother and father, child sort of dynamic. And I'm, I'm very grateful for my parents because they did this very well. That when I left home and moved to Auckland to study at Bible College, They'd done a job where it was beautifully done, where all of a sudden it was like I was friends with them. And they respected the fact that I was out there on, in the world, you know, trying to make something of it and all the rest of it. And, and they were my friends, and I could sit down and have a beer with Dad and get on the phone and process with Mum before I met Jen, which is now weird, <laughs> although that goes, um, and all of those sort of things. So, uh, so we want to honour our parents. But the second thing that Jesus says is that also we need to be able to leave our parents, we need to, to follow Jesus means to be prepared to leave uh, some of the patterns that are not healthy that we've picked up, to, uh, to see actually Jesus, uh, to see God as our Father, ultimately first and foremost, uh, and that actually we've been adopted into God's family, and so we're under His Lordship and under His fatherhood and under His friendship. And so uh, we need to leave our parents as well. It's a, t- it's a true truth held in tension. This can be a difficult thing to do. Uh, sometimes uh, our parents or our grandparents can be very broken, and so there's this kind of real codependence sometimes that's there. Uh, or there can be control, or there can be unhealthy kind of toxic stuff going on in the relationships where you know we're like, we're the ones that are going to make them feel happy, and everything rests on us and all the rest of it. We, we have to leave behind their expectations. And we have to come from underneath that because you can't be controlled by your parents anymore, friends. I know some of us, are, you know, there's a lot of, most of us are, uh, you know, 30 plus in the room. But sometimes it's like we can still be living in fear and control of our parents. And that's, we need to break free from that. The Lord wants to set us free from this. Uh, and, and also, even as we do this course, we want to ask the Lord to bring revelation so that we can break those generational patterns so that we can see our children move into greater freedom, so that we can see our lives move into greater freedom. Going back to the book, the great news of Christianity is that your biological family of origin does not determine your future. God does. Hallelujah. What has gone before you is not your destiny. The most significant language in the New Testament for becoming a Christian is adoption into the family of God. It's a radical new beginning. So when we place our faith in Christ, we are spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit into the family of Jesus. We are transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of light. The Apostle Paul used the image of Roman adoption to communicate this profound truth, emphasizing we are now in a new and permanent relationship with our new Father. God becomes our father. Our debts slash sins are cancelled. We're given a new name, a Christian, a new inheritance, freedom, hope, glory, and the resources of heaven, and new brothers and sisters, other Christians. Look around. These are your siblings, friends. Be afraid. Be very afraid. So this morning, we, we want to just ask the Lord to, and as we take this course, to just bring revelation to us about how our history has shaped us. And some of that we might be aware of, or some of it, it's just, Lord, please, can you reveal if there's anything in my worldview that I've picked up along the way that's not from you that you want to bring healing to. And we do that in a way to uh, honour, in a way that still honours where we've come from, but says that ultimately we are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Secondly, we also then want to reflect on the significant events of our lives, the earthquake events, the big events that have shaped who we are. There have been key moments that have impacted you. And, uh, and at a certain point, it's important to reflect and wrestle with the impact of these moments on our lives. Um, sudden death in your family. Um, uh, discovering a family secret that rocked you. Uh, abuse that you maybe have gone through, physical, sexual, I don't know what it might be. Sometimes it's choices we made where we've got ourselves all tangled up and we look back. In those moments, again, this, the, the reason we don't want to hug the cactus is because we don't want to feel shame anymore, right? So we avoid hugging the cactus when we look at those big events. But it's so important we hug the cactus when we look at these big significant events of our life because then we can invite Jesus into us and Jesus will never make you feel shame. Jesus will never, ever make you feel shame. Cy Rogers, uh, who has a very, very broken history, uh, sexually very, very broken, went through unbelievably traumatic experiences. But he says this, God has never held my past over my head nor thrown it back at my face to shame me. Others have, of course, but not God, ever. He has only always affirmed me as his. Hallelujah. Isn't he good? Isn't he kind? Like As we look at these events, we don't have to fear feeling shame. Uh, we, uh, we can just know that he will love us and bring healing to us. And so as we look at these moments in our history, we ask, uh, what is the wound? Uh, what, uh, what, how has that impacted the way I relate to other people? How has that shaped who I am? Um, when I was uh, eight years old, which is how old my eldest boy is, we moved to South America. And um, we, this was an earthquake event for my life. Now, this is a, now, there's lots of other way more grubby, naughty earthquake events in my life that I, you know, I'm sure that you'd love to all hear about. I'm going to talk about this nice, safe, gentle one uh, just for the sake of my own soul as a, as a preacher pastor who's trying to model vulnerability but not be completely stupid here because it costs to go to counselling. Uh, and so, but, uh, so we moved, um, so this is a, where we live, uh, this is not where we live, but this is in Cochabamba, Bolivia, where we moved to. Now, before that moment, I was an eight-year-old boy who lived in Shannon, just outside of Palmerston North, the mighty Shannon. I mean, and when you're eight years old, Shannon is every, like, Shannon's not a small town when you're eight. Shannon's like just every, it's your whole world. That's all I knew was Shannon. And so uh, I, I loved Shannon. Like, I walked to, to the local little primary school there in Shannon, and I used to walk there from home, and like, just, I knew everywhere in Shannon, it turns out, because an eight-year-old can know everything about Shannon, because uh, it's so little and small. And then my parents, at, um, when I was eight years old, felt this call to go church plant in South America in Uruguay, but initially uh, they went to learn the language in Bolivia. And so we jumped on this plane and like I just hit culture shock, like hardcore. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like I just I had no idea the world could be like this. And it's it was so traumatic, actually. Not only that, but it was incredibly isolating because I didn't speak Spanish. We didn't. That's the reason we were there, <laughs> is that my parents were there to learn Spanish. To, to kind of double down on the whole thing, I went to an English-speaking school that was this American school uh, that was like an international school for people that, and that, that spoke English, which was great. But the problem was that because 
um, it was mainly expat Americans there. They really cranked up, I thought, the American culture thing because they were all missing America. So I'm like hitting Bolivia and America and like, and then the language thing and all the rest of it. And then like at the school, because I was not American, I got bullied and picked on because that's what they do at American schools, it turns out. They have jocks and they have cheerleaders and they have all this sort of stuff. And so, uh, no disrespect to, uh, to our American friends here. Uh, <laughs> and it was just so, it was so heavy uh, and incredibly isolating for me. It, re- it turns out quite a formative time of my life. Uh, and so we moved back to New Zealand when I was 12 years old. And when we moved back to New Zealand when I'm 12 years old, I'm the weird kid from South America with an accent who's got, again, this is pre-internet, right? So I have no idea about the Ninja Turtles or about the Simpsons or about all the other cool things that were going on for all my other 11, 12-year-old mates. And and I'm this weird kid with an accent who's just completely clueless to, to Western culture. And so again, unbelievably lonely, and, and super isolated, and again, these quite formative times in my life. And so I've had to hug the cactus about those moments in my life, which I've fully processed now, I'm pretty sure. Um, but it was interesting because the fear of rejection was so strong in me throughout my teenage years and my early 20s that I just felt it so acutely, and I'd try and control my environment so that I could have some sense of control of relationships. So God needed to heal that that deep wound in me, and he definitely needed to heal it before I met Jen and got married, because that's got huge implications in terms of intimacy and vulnerability in a marriage if it's like you're just one never you know you're just worried there's this wound deep inside your child's heart around uh, rejection and isolation and so this is again this is just one example but there's things that have happened in your life that have deeply shaped who you are choices you've made and things you've been a victim of and god wants to bring healing he wants to bring healing to the memories he wants to you know here's here's what I want to invite us to do is that we want to ask the Lord, uh, we want to ask for his perspective. Like the reason I, I wanted to look back on those moments in my past with Jesus, often in a counseling room or often having heart to hate, hearts with close friends and all that, is because I don't want to ignore that. I want to, I want to sit with those memories and look at those experiences with Jesus. And I want to ask for his perspective. And I want to hear his voice. And I want to see him bring healing to those moments in my history so that I can move forward into a more healthy future where I can relate to others with vulnerability, where I can share without fear of what people may think about me. And so... Uh, it's not easy to hug the cactus, but we're hugging the cactus with Jesus. And, and sometimes on the big events of life, like those big earthquake events, we have to do that a few times. We've got to go around the block a few times. And here's been my observation, is that Jesus is really gentle in how he does it. So sometimes there's the initial thing of like, oh, I need to work through that. And it's deeply painful. And we hug the cactus for the first time and it really hurts. And Jesus is there with us bringing healing. And then you know what he normally does? He gives us a break. I love that about him. My observation has been he's given me a little break. Sometimes it's been a couple of years of a little break. And then gently he's like, let's have a little look at that again. And I have to hug the cactus again. This time the prickles are a lot smaller. We go hug the cactus again with Jesus. What else do you want to do, Jesus? And he just begins to bring healing and speaks truth and leads me into life. 
and then he gives me a little break. And then sometimes we have to do another round, and this time the prickles are tiny, but it's, all right, here we go again. Hello, cactus. Let's look at this memory or deal with this thing in my past. And, and, it, and it's, then it's like the cactus gets taken away, and it's like that's, it's been healed. So we'll always, some, on certain things, they will always walk with a bit of a limp. The memory will always, they'll always, certain with, with death and grief, always will, they're not going to come back. And that's hard. And we're just going to sit with that until we see them again in glory one day. We have hope. But we, in, the, in this present, sometimes it's like, yeah, that cactus is sort of sitting there on the mantelpiece still. Um, but we're not afraid of it anymore because we've looked at it and we've dealt with it. And ultimately, the, the, we, we do this because not only does he bring healing, not only does he bring hope, but as we do that, actually an intimacy forms with Jesus that is absolutely beautiful. Nothing brings intimacy like going to those deep places with someone. Nothing brings intimacy like that. And I want to be close to Jesus. And so I feel very close to Jesus because we've hugged the cactus on a whole bunch of stuff together. He knows the worst things about me, and he loves me. He knows the worst things about me, and there's no shame. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no fear. There's grace. There's freedom. There's life. There's love. And so I can sit in those places with Jesus. I finished with this. Jesus had a human history coupled with his divine nature. And uh, in Matthew, you'll read a big genealogy of Matthew's history. (laughs) Physios are allowed to have their phone on because you never know what's going to be happening. Um, And you know, in Jesus' history, it's not like this perfect history, which I really love. Like Jesus stepped into a really broken history. Uh, We've got Jacob. Um, For those that know history, like Jacob was a naughty boy. He lied, he manipulated, he was a real monkey. He's in Jesus' line. David, who's awesome, we're going to be looking at David. We looked at David this week in our groups. Now there's heaps that we love about David, again, especially how self-aware he is. But let's not brush over the fact he was a murderer and an adulterer. Like that's pretty up there, you know, in terms of family history. Uh, you've got, very interestingly, because this is not normally the case in genealogies, you've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, all non-Israelites, all women in Jesus' genealogy. Oh, Matthew, you're pushing people there. And it's like so cool because that's what God was doing. Uh, but these guys, again, all of them have some rather, some of them especially, some rather interesting sexual history uh, that was rather complicated and not exactly the model Christian behavior. Um, And the point is this, that Jesus steps into this history. He does not repeat it. He redeems it, he restores it, and he breaks the power of that history. And this is the beauty about Jesus, is that he wants to step into your history in this moment, and he he wants to partner with you to break those things so that you can move forward into greater life and healing. Is it easy? No, you've got to hug the cactus. But it's worth it because it leads you into places of life and love. You are not a victim of your past. You do not have to be. Because a victim has no control. But you've got Jesus. And Jesus is with you. And so you can take control of what has happened in your history so that with Jesus you can move forward into a more whole future. I finish, finish with this. My friend uh, from Christchurch grew up in a home where his father never physically embraced him, physically very distant. And that left a big wound on my friend. Uh, and he met Jesus, my friend, Rick. And, uh, and he came to faith. 
And Jesus began to heal him as he hugged the cactus about the impact of that on him. And then as he became a father, you, 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 know, you can imagine what he was like. He was just hug central. He's a big teddy bear of a guy anyway. But it's like he just hugged. He said, I just hug my kids every chance I get. I, I, just, I just want them to, and I say to them, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved. And I hug them and I hold them so that they know that they're loved. This is a person who's broken that generational thing because Jesus has stepped in. With Jesus, he's hugged the cactus. And then he's brought healing, and then he's broken that pattern for his family. And so uh, this morning, I want to finish in prayer, but I would also like to finish uh, with the opportunity for prayer. Because um, this morning, uh, this is an opportunity for us to sit with Jesus on some of, those, some of these things. For some of us, we know exactly what we, we need to sit with Jesus uh, and we need you know, to hug the cactus and sit with Jesus this morning. Uh, we know exactly what the issue is or the situation is. For some of us, we're not too sure, um, and that's fine. Um, but I really do, especially for those that are like, I, I think the Lord is wanting to bring healing to this part of my story. I would love us to just an opportunity just to pray for one another and encourage each other that we would, um, again, we do it just because there's life at the other side of dealing with some of this stuff. But let me pray uh, the prayer that's at the end of the chapter of the book. And then uh, let's just, in a second, we'll stand and we'll just wait on the Lord together. Let's pray together. And, um, and as I pray this, would you just, uh, as you feel at peace to do so, yes and amen in your spirit. So Lord, I believe you are a God with great purposes. You placed me into my particular family at a particular place in a particular time in history. I don't see what you see, but I ask you to show me, Lord, the revelation and purposes you have for me in your decision. Lord, I do not want to betray or be ungrateful for what has, what has been given to me. Yet at the same time, Lord, help me to discern what I need to let go of for my past and what my essential discipleship issues are in the present that must be addressed. In Jesus' name, grant me the courage, grant me the wisdom to learn from the past but not be crippled by it. And may I, like Joseph, be a blessing to my earthly family, my spiritual family, and the world at large around me. In Jesus' name, amen.